prayerlessness and the lack of prayer and how people are not praying the right way and how people need to apply different prayer techniques, etc., etc. I think you'll find today's teaching quite uh, liberating. I believe even those uh, of you who maybe feel that you are very bad at prayer, that you will know that you can practice prayer and, and in a successful way. Sometimes people pray and they try to apply all kinds of prayer techniques and ways to pray, but they feel like their prayers don't amount to anything. And you know, the Bible talks about that. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says that we could speak in tongues, we could have faith to move mountains, but without love, it will not profit profit us anything and so they can be that way with many spiritual activities we worship we pray we read the bible and sometimes people say i don't feel it helps me at all it doesn't profit me at all so it's possible that people could pray in tongues and, and have great faith and a great understanding but it really doesn't profit them so my concern is always for you and for us we are a spiritual family I want your best. I want your well-being. I want whatever we do that it not just profits the church as a whole and the ministry we are doing, but that it profits you. God wants you to profit. So we're going to go to the first statement attributed to Jesus in the New Testament regarding prayer. And I'll read a few verses there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by people. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things which you have need of before you ask Him. So these are the first words uh, by Jesus. And interestingly enough, when Jesus is talking about prayer, He starts His teaching by talking about what prayer is not. What prayer is not, rather than talking about what it is. And Jesus uses very stark language. I've hardly ever heard a preacher talk in such stark language. He says, the very first thing I want you to know about prayer, Jesus says, the very first thing is that hypocrites love to pray. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? That's the first. He says, hypocrites just love to be seen praying. That there's something about prayer that lends itself to hypocrisy. Now, of course, whenever I read the word hypocrite in the Bible, I know that God is not talking about me, but about somebody else. Maybe you feel the same way, you know, it's kind of automatic, oh, praise God, we're not one of those hypocrites. But, you know, it's always good when the word hypocrite appears in the Bible to say, well, does this fit in? in my life at all? Is this, is this, is this how I am? Is, is this something about in me that loves to stand up and pray? Till people say, oh, Pastor Peter, you're such a prayer warrior. Do, do I like that? Do you like when somebody says, you are a real prayer warrior? When the truth could actually be you're more of a prayer warrior than a warrior, but, but, but people don't say that. 
isn't there something about, especially when you get to stand up in public and pray, you know, you might need to rehearse the words well in advance so that people can know what a, a prayer expert you are. So Jesus' first statement is a warning. Obviously, Jesus is not warning against prayer per se, but he's, he's saying when it comes to this, hypocrisy is, is very close at hand. He doesn't say that, you know, be, beware of the healing ministry because hypocrites love to heal the sick. He doesn't say that. Beware of studying the, the scripture because uh, no, no, it's prayer that is particularly uh, dangerous in this area. And you know, people say, I love to be called an intercessor. I, I'm, I'm a prayer warrior. I'm, I'm the one, there's something about that. So we, we ought to say, well, is Jesus against public prayer? Should we not pray in public? After all, here in, in our Sunday services, uh, we pray. I think today, Pastor Nathan prayed over the communion. I opened with a prayer here now, and uh, probably before we are done, we'll have maybe some other prayer going on here. Sometimes we pray, uh, we, we lay hands on the sick, and we pray. So, so, so before we just kind of jump over, it's, it's public prayer that Jesus is against. Let me hasten to remind you that Jesus himself engaged in public prayer. And one time he actually says, I'm not really praying because, uh, Father, you, you, you know, it's not really, I know where, where you're at, Father, already, and you know where I'm at. I'm just praying publicly so that the others will hear my prayer. So it wasn't uh, that there was something in what Jesus prayed that he wanted to build faith in those who were hearing him. I think what he's talking about here, the secret place, go into your room. We're not just talking about you locking yourself in your room because, frankly, you could be living and many people live in civilizations and countries where there's three to four people in every room in the house. So how in the world are you going to find your own room? I believe it's talking more about what our Pastor Nathan talked about last Sunday, which was our secret place. It is, it is a ro room, so to speak, in the spirit. It is a secret place. I am not doing what I'm doing to be seen, but there is a secret place with God. I, I'm shut in with God. I'm not trying to impress anyone. And so, you know, sometimes the word, I mentioned the word intercession, so let me say something more about that uh, because that word is, is very popular and it, it means to stand on behalf of someone else. And we find particularly in the Old Testament, uh, we have a number of cases of intercession. Aaron would be one of them, where Aaron stood between the living and the dead. Another one is Moses, who prayed on behalf of the people of Israel. Another one is Abraham, who prayed on behalf of, the, of his nephew Lot and the city of Sodom. But I would caution you to think of yourself as being symbolized by Aaron or Abraham or Moses. I submit to you, these stories in the Bible are not to depict you and I as if you and I were to stand between the living and the dead, but these are foreshadowings of Jesus Christ. We must make sure that we don't think of our prayer ministry as taking the place of Jesus Christ because that would be hypocritical indeed. I would say Jesus who is our high priest just like Aaron the high priest he stood between the living and the dead. Jesus made perfect intercession. Jesus negotiated that if there are zero righteous uh, God will still save the world. Praise the Lord. I just saw a prayer appeal come to my desk here the other day 
when someone was quoting Ezekiel chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 30, 23, verse 30, where it says, I sought for a person to stand in the gap, but I found none. And many say, well, that's me. I'm on a standing gap for our country. I'm on a standing gap for our city. Again, I just would caution you to look at that verse from Ezekiel in that fashion. Is it rather not that Ezekiel the prophet is saying, God sought for a man who was worthy and righteous and sufficient to stand in the gap for all of people, and he found none. And I submit that if God was looking for one among us, he would also find none. But thanks be to God for the gospel that God found one man. There is one man who is a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So prayer is important, but I caution us to not become involved in hypocrisy where we take upon ourselves more grandeur or more important than it, what is suitable. And so be cautioned. Hypocrites love to pray. And then he tells us more. Hypocrites and non-believers pray using repetitions. They repeat the same word over again. Maybe it's hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't know. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I don't know what they, you know, of course this isn't relating to us because hypocrites is over somebody else. But you know, couldn't it be that some people feel like uh, they repeat the same words and they say, I'm pushing through. Move God. And you keep saying that till you feel like you push through. Well, that's what hypocrites do. Another one. Hypocrites feel like long prayers are preferred over short ones. Let me see if I can get that up on the screen. I'll use my little pointer. There it is. Well, it came ahead of me, actually. Hypocrites think long prayers are better than short. I'm going to ask you, have you ever thought that? That you just said a prayer and then you thought, well, that wasn't good enough. Have you ever felt like that? You know, I've told the story. I used to attend a prayer meeting, a weekly prayer meeting. But it was kind of discouraging because one of the pastors in that church who had considered himself a great prayer warrior, so he would pray alone for 45 to 60 minutes to start the prayer meeting. We sing a song or two, start at 7.30. By 8.30, he's still praying, and everybody else is lying on their faces, moaning and trying to hang in and saying amen. Well, needless, you know, by the time he was done his hour-long prayer, the gas was out of our tanks, and we felt anyhow what would our little five, six-minute expressions of prayer amount after such a mighty prayer intercession had been flowing forth from one of the pastor's mouth. So we kind of all just hummed and hawed, and it was, does anybody else want to pray? No, no, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. <laughs> it's fine, let's go home, let's have a coffee, you, you know. So sometimes, isn't it true that sometimes... Possibly somebody here, somebody watching me on television could, could have been in this category. You've been thinking, my prayers weren't uh, long enough. Well, the Bible says, well, it says, you know, doesn't the Bible says pray and faint not? Well, doesn't that mean we have to go on for hours until we almost faint and then we have to kind of keep ourselves from fainting? I suggest it has nothing to do with the length of the prayer it means don't stop praying. In other words, don't keep praying. Keep bringing your request to the Lord. Keep, keep, make your request known to the Lord. It's not talking about a marathon 
Are, are you looking at me? Let's see. Some of you feel better about it already. Some of you have been saying, well, I, I'm not much of a prayer person because you have this in your head that, that if I'm on a, my prayers are going to amount to anything, they have to be long. So Jesus starts by teaching. He says, this is the wrong kind of thinking. Long prayers aren't any better than short ones. And you know, sometimes long prayers for people who have been engaging in long prayers, and I have been in those occasions, they can be a real drag. Don't look at me like that now. And I figure if it's a drag to you, it's probably a drag to the Lord. If you want him to get out of there, probably the Lord says, please get out of there. I told you sometimes when I started in ministry, I came to, a, to the Pentecostal church in Moncton, New Brunswick, and the pastor there said to me, because he was known to not book any guest speakers in those days, we would have uh, five days of series of meetings. And he had been known to cancel a meeting in the middle of the week and just send the preacher packing because he was, uh, so he said to me, well, what, what do you want to do in, in, in Moncton? He says, do you want revival? That was his word, or do you just want a, a paycheck at the end of the week? So I meekly responded, I think I want revival. To which he said, well, if you want that, you and I are going to pray all night. And so we went to that Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada Church in Moncton, New Brunswick, and about uh, 11 o'clock at night, I don't know why we had to wait till 11 p.m. to start. I guess there was something about doing it through the night. We could have started at 7 p.m. when I got there, but we had to kind of stay up till 11. And then we were to pray, and it was only him and I. And uh, thankfully, they had just opened a Tim Hortons across the street, so, and they had 24-hour service. So he noticed I was getting very weak. I was laying on the floor with my face down, looking like I was in a great uh, agony for the Lord to do something in the city of Moncton, New Brunswick. And then uh, he, he, he suddenly, I noticed he was gone, and he came back with a large, as large as they had in those days. Tim Horton's coffee says, here, this will keep you going. And anyhow, so, so uh, we had this idea, you know, and, and I don't know how much good I did because, frankly, I was very tired because I'm thinking I have to be fresh. I have to speak in the Sunday morning service. And uh, then that Sunday morning, finally about 4 o'clock or so, he said, I think it's enough. We broke through now. So I got to home and go sleep for, for two, three hours. And then in the morning service, actually in those days, you know, the pastor and some of the elders would sit on the platform. So I would be speaking, and there would be the pastor and a couple of elders. And he is sleeping through my whole service. He's sleeping right there, and I have to keep the thing going. Anyhow, we, we, you know, we had a long meeting that lasted for six weeks there. I, I'm just saying... I, I wouldn't attribute that to my sleepy prayer with a large Tim Horton beside me. But somehow we have this idea that long prayers are better than short ones. And, and somehow I had not gotten it when I read Jesus' words here. When he warns, he says, don't think that. And, and then Jesus, you know, some of the people say to me, tell me about your prayer life. I always figure I get suspicious when somebody asks me about my prayer life because I figure they're up to something that's no good. Either they, they want to feel superior and say, I pray more than Peter Youngren, or they, they want to condemn me, or they want to puff me up and say, oh, what a mighty man of prayer he is. I don't know. Either way, I smell a rat, you know. So I say, I pray without ceasing. <laughs> you know, that kind of... They kind of, they kind of leave. To me, prayer is like 
you know, tying us in my life together. We, we are together without ceasing. Even if we are apart, we are on WhatsApp, you know. Uh, but, but imagine if I had to, if we just didn't talk all day and then we saved everything to the last 20, 30 minutes and then we'd kind of jam all the conversation into a short moment, that would be very stressful. But instead we have an, we don't talk all the time. That would be boring. Both of us enjoy quietness. But we are constantly living together. I feel prayer is like that. I don't have to be talking or listening all the time. But the Lord is always there. So in that sense, I am living my life with the Lord. I never leave the Lord curbside. I'm with the Lord, but I don't feel any demand. Now I have to put in X number of time. But I'm saying, Lord, I thank you that you are my helper. I thank you, so don't despise that when you're driving your car down a busy highway that you just say, thank you, Lord, for helping me. Don't say, oh, that was just a little, oh, that, that doesn't count. You know, I was listening to one preacher, Tyler, and I heard a preacher, I shall not mention his name because you know him, and he was doing a, a teaching, and I noticed some people from our church was there, and he was talking about that unless you prayed for two hours solid, you wouldn't even get near to the Holy of Holies in prayer. It's nice for him. He probably has nothing to do all day, so he can just uh, try to press into the Holy of Holies. Sometimes he said it would take three or four hours before he get into the Holy of Holies. But I'm looking at some of the people from our church. I'm thinking, here's a single mother with three babies. How is she going to spend three hours to get into the Holy of Holies? She, she has to get the diaper bags ready, and she has to get to work. She's trying to pay the rent, and she's trying to go home. And then when she gets home exhausted, probably took her 12 hours by the time she started the day till she got home, maybe more than that, four, 13, 14 hours. And now she has to spend three hours that God is going to time her before she gets into the Holy of Holies. I said, this, this really can't be that difficult. I think i got to switch religion. If it's that hard to get into the Holy of Holies, my God, I need another religion. But thank God I got another one. It's called the gospel. Let's give Jesus praise here. So are you happy? How many feel better about the whole thing already? I was so upset after I heard that, but I won't say what I said. I didn't swear, no, but it was close. Uh, uh, now, Jesus says the reason, he says the reason this is the way it is, that the long isn't better than the short and all that, is because our Father, because our Father knows the things that we have need of before we ask Him. So prayer is not informing an ill-informed God about what we need. It's not you telling God how bad your husband is or your wife or how bad the crime rate is or how bad it is somewhere else. No, our Father knows the things we have need of. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, come on. Somebody ought to be happy about that right there. You, you know, we, we, and just, just to fortify it, just to fortify that, John talks about that. He says in, in 1 John 5, I don't have it there in the PowerPoint, but it says this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we already have that which we ask of him. So prayer is not for the purpose, I put it here now, watch this on the screen. Prayer does not change God. It's not changing God's mindset. It's not changing God's understanding. It's not making God love you more. God has already shown his great love for you by sending Jesus Christ. So all these things are not 
to improve the love of God for you. You are the beloved of God. God doesn't, God doesn't become kind of conscious of you. No, he's got every hair on your head counted. And even the ones who are falling off. All right, then, then I want to say like this. Prayer, let, let me get into this. It's going to be heavy. Prayer doesn't move God to take unilateral action. Think about it. Well, I can say that's a general rule from Scripture. There are a couple of times when God moved without human involvement. One of those times is when God created the universe. Are you with me? Another time we could say is when God raised Jesus from the dead. I don't think any of the disciples were kind of believing for that. But apart from those times, even the examples of praying for others always involved a cooperation between God and people. So it didn't, it didn't get God going to do some Yes, for example, it, we read about Paul, the apostles, he interceded, he prayed on behalf of the churches. But he was also moved upon to write letters to those churches. Jesus prayed for the city of Jerusalem. Yes, he prayed for those who were there who were crucify him. But he also loved them. He reached out to them. He spoke to them. So it wasn't just like, Father, forgive them. I don't want to have anything to do with it. No, he, he, he said to the, to the thief on the cross, you'll be with me in paradise. He ministered to them. And so sometimes we make prayer something that we, we're trying to get God going. But in fact, God has been going for a long time. God has already been active on our behalf. 2 Peter 1, 3 tells us that, this, that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So God has already been active on yours and my behalf through Jesus Christ. God's Take salvation, for example. This is a good way to illustrate it because we all are familiar with the prayer of salvation. So we may pray something like this. We may say, Heavenly Father, save me. Heavenly Father, forgive my sins in Jesus' name. And that, that's okay. You can pray many different ways. God is not scrutinizing your prayer theologically. But if you want to speak about it strictly speaking, God is not arranging for the forgiveness of your sins when you are praying, God, forgive me. God already arranged for that when Jesus Christ went to the cross. Is that right? It's not like God's, oh, 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 I see somebody over there at uh, 190 Railside Road in Toronto. They are, they are responding and they want to get saved today. I better, I better cook up a little salvation for them. No, it's all cooked up already. It's all provided. Everything that we need for life and godliness has already been provided for us. And how does it happen to us? Through the knowledge of Jesus. So salvation happens when somebody recognizes Jesus has put away my sins. Jesus took my shame. I, I know who God is now because I see God through Jesus. My mind is no longer darkened. And as a result of this discovery, I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and you're saved. So you're believing and embracing what God has already done for you. Amen. Everybody understand this? Well, the same is true in other other areas. Colossians 2, 6 tells us, as therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you, you confessed him as Lord, so walk in him. 
So we could say receiving new life is the greatest miracle in the world. Well, other things from God come the same way. So what prayer does, prayer helps me to focus on God. I think Lorraine, who I gave her story here, how her mind was under attack and, and thoughts and negative thoughts came to her. And she had to resolve those thoughts. Well, prayer is the means by which those kind of thoughts are resolved. Because it's not that God comes and, and, and smashes her in the head. No, but she's there together with her heavenly father and her mind becomes aligned with the mind of the Lord. So the prayer is no longer, you know, will God do this or will God do that? But my prayer instead is, oh God, thank you for showing me what you have already done. Hallelujah. Amen. So in prayer, I never ask God to do what he's already done through Jesus. And I never ask God to do what he's empowered me to do and you to do. Let's keep reading now because then Jesus talks about what prayer is. Matthew 6, verse 9. In this manner pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now we call this the Lord's Prayer. Maybe a better word would be, or a better title for it would be the disciples' prayer. Because Jesus told the disciples to pray this way. And then I caution you that this was the prayer for the disciples to pray before Jesus had risen from the dead and before the Son of Man had been glorified. You know, Jesus keeps talking about that. You know, when the Son of Man is glorified, when Jesus is glorified, things are going to change. And so we, 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 we learn general principles from this prayer, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. But if we want to have it a little bit updated, we go to John chapter 16, where Jesus is talking about that day after Christ's resurrection. He's saying to the disciples, John 16, 23, in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. But between these two passages, we find some general common denominators. First of all, Prayer is fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Oh, everybody say, Papa God. Oh, the Godfather. <laughs> the Godfather. Papa God. He, Paul says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we, we have the, the, the same, we, we ask the Father in the name of Jesus. You know, it would be unnatural for a child if your child would come to you uh, every morning and say, oh, dear father, dear father, I am unworthy. I have not been thinking about you as much as I should have thought of you for the last 24 hours, but may I still take some breakfast out of the cupboard? Dear father, I bow before you. I am so unworthy. I have not been paying the attention to you. You know, if your children, if I saw your children, Pardon me, if I saw your children act in that manner towards you, I, I would say to Tina, we need to pray for that family. There's something wrong there. Uh, that children ought not to behave in that way. They, 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 there's something that's flipped in their mind. They're not approaching uh, their father or their mother the right way. But somehow religion taught us 
that prayer was about like meeting with God the judge. No, it's meeting with God the Father. Oh, praise God. Some of you, when I'm talking right now, prayer requests are coming to your mind. Well, we're going to pray a little bit before we finish today. And it doesn't have to be a long prayer, so don't get scared. I tell you, short prayers work really good as well. Then, then prayer here lays claim to what the name of Jesus provides. Notice in both the rendition in Matthew here, before the cross, and John 16 speaking about after Christ's resurrection, it's a lot about the name of Jesus. In, in, in Matthew we read, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means, oh God, your name is precious. It's very special. And then Jesus says, you will go to the Father and ask in my name. And your joy shall be full. It's a privilege to lay claim to the name of Jesus. Whatever is in the name of Jesus. That's always people say, well, pray whatever you want. Well, what works? What prayers are answers? Prayers that can have a prayer request that have the name of Jesus attached to them are legitimate prayer requests. So, for example, anything, starting with the forgiveness of sin, freedom from shame, healing for your body, all the things that Jesus has provided has his name attached to it. Now, you can pray for some crazy things. You say, I pray for my neighbor to smash up his car. Well, that doesn't have Jesus' name attached to it. So you're not going to pray that prayer in faith anyhow or pray for some other silly thing, which I hope nobody here is ever praying for. It, it, it will never work because Jesus' name has to be attached to it. But, you know, think about the hundreds and the thousands of things in life that have Jesus' name attached to them. Praise God. Then, then I, I got to hasten. Prayer synchronizes my thoughts with God's. I'm back to what Lorraine was giving to us in her testimony here earlier. You know, here it said, your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, Lord, whatever your kingdom, your will is, let it be here now. And of course, first of all, we need to note as new covenant believers that Jesus, when he came, he brought God's kingdom to earth. He brought God's will to earth. We don't need to be wrestling over God's will anymore. Oh, your will be done. Jesus brought the will of God to us. And so we see things more clearly. So, for example, here it says, forgive us. It said here, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, the way that read, it could, it could read, forgive us our debts because we forgive our debtors. It doesn't say that, but some interpret it that way. Or it could mean parallel, I forgive our, my debtors as, as, as you forgive my debts. But you see, because Jesus rose from the dead, we get a clearer picture. So in Ephesians 4, 32, it says, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So once we now are in this new gospel covenant, when we pray, here's, here's what I encourage you to do. For example... If you have an issue of unforgiveness, if you know that you have some ill will towards a person in your heart and that you feel like it's hindering you, you know, don't go make something up now. If it's not hindering you, it's not hindering you. But if it's hindering you, I suggest what you do rather than praying, oh, God, help me to forgive, help me to forgive, help me to forgive. No, as if God will come and slap you upside the head and say, boom, okay, ooh, I, oh, I forgave that person now. No, no, synchronize your thoughts. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. 
And you begin to think about it. I begin to worship you, Lord. Thank you that you have forgiven me everything. Thank you, Lord Jesus, how you wiped the slate clean in my life. I thank you that every handwriting of requirement that was against me, it has been nailed to the cross. You begin to thank God like that, and then the realization comes, wow, if God has forgiven me so much, I forgive others. Amen. You know, I was thinking about we all have different backgrounds. You know, so many things I have learned from God in prayer. For example, some people come from a church background where the devil is very big. You know, don't despise it. Some people come from a church background, and if you got the church for 35 years and all you heard about how big the devil is, everything that happens is the devil. You broke your, your, your big toe, it's the devil. Uh, you know, a window smashed, that was the devil. You missed the bus, that was the devil. Everything is the devil. You had the flu. That was the devil. And the devil, now, now, you know, you can come and listen to Pastor Nathan and me preach, and hopefully we do some good. At least otherwise we should just shut up and sit down, both of us. We hope that we do some good. Come on, that was a good time to say, yes, come on, encourage us a little bit here. You know, we, 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 we try to teach and reveal this. But you see, for example, now we got Halloween coming up. You know, what is a more divisive issue to bring up in church than Halloween? Because you have two clear lines of thought. You have one line of thought. It's of the devil. And I'm not going to leave my apartment on Halloween. Because the devil is on the bus. Or the other line of thought is, ah, it's just kids picking up candy. You see, this is how you split a church in one Sunday morning. You bring, that's why I said we shouldn't bring up any tough issues. We should just be, hallelujah, hallelujah. But, but you see, I want to say to you, I'm just giving you, you believe whatever you want. I'm saying my understanding of these things have been synchronized in prayer. There was a time when I listened to a lot of voices and everything was the devil. But then as I began to worship God and in prayer and I became still, the Lord began to show me, of course, backed up by the scripture, how small and defeated the devil actually is. So, so I, it was in prayer and communing with the Lord that I discovered, yes, he takes scripture, makes them alive to me, that Jesus Christ triumphed over principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. I said, oh, well, praise God. I guess if there's some principalities and powers on the bus... Watch out, principalities and powers, because I'm getting on the bus. <laughs> Get on the bus, Gus. I'm on there. And so, but, but if you feel differently, I don't condemn you. I don't say that it's wrong. I'm just saying, could you take a matter like that to the Lord? Could you say, Lord, what is the reality here? Because after all, you could say, should I even go to Walmart because they sell things? Should you, maybe you shouldn't even leave your apartment at all. Just listen to, uh, well, even some preaching could be dangerous. Uh, I don't know what you should do. Just, just, just be there and, 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 and don't, don't move. Have food delivered. Have a little slot at the bottom of the door and have food delivered in because who knows? Uh, you, you see, so I'm not criticizing. I'm merely saying these kind of issues. We read the Bible in prayer. My thoughts are synchronized with God. So I feel, I feel like I'm more than an overcomer. I keep saying that in many places. 
I go in the world when I talk to pastors, you know, because many pastors have great hang-ups in this area, and I have a privilege. I teach a lot of pastors, and they like to say, pastors like to talk about this. They say, oh, can you feel the demonic presence? And they want me to say, yes. Because then they will say, oh, we knew you were a man of God. You could feel these things. We knew that. So they will even more, oh, we knew that. We knew you would, not everybody can feel it, but you, Peter Younggren, you, you felt it. So I said, no, I don't feel anything at all. <laughs> it's so disappointing to them, see, because they expect me to feel something since I'm a great man of God, you know, I'm a BMOG, you know, big man of God, so I should be feeling the demons. And they said, no, I don't feel the devil. I feel the roses. I smell the fresh air. But I said, I think the devil feels me. I think the devil feels me. Maybe, I don't know. I haven't been checking with him. I'm too busy to check. The, but you see, that's come through prayer and the word. I've synchronized my thoughts. So I don't do a lot of, you know, I'm very secure in that Jesus is my victory. And I face evil forces. I face demonic forces. And when I do, I have power in the name of Jesus to overcome. Praise God. Amen. My goodness, I, I, I've, I'm not going to, I've always got more notes than I got time, all right? Uh, are we doing any good in this? See, I see my needs met according to the riches and glory of Christ Jesus. I don't just see my needs met, amen. I see my need met according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And then I got, I can't get it all in. I was going to talk about how prayer alliances with heaven and earth but then uh, th then i was to say prayer is a joyous celebration of victory i love this thing it came alive to me in a fresh way how did this prayer end yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen that's a good way to end every prayer to see that everything that we have it said in Ephesians 1, I didn't have time to go there, that everything we have is according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So you see, prayer ends in victory. Oh, Jesus, you conquered death. You conquered everything. So any problem, any difficulty, any dilemma that I'm facing is minuscule in comparison with your victory because yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. And then you suddenly say, oh, honey, I shrunk the prayer request. You know, that prayer request that was so big, it just doesn't look so big anymore because he has won an everlasting victory. Oh, praise God. Stand with me right now. I really try to finish by noon. I almost made it. <laughs> All right. Did you get 